there's many sides to a story and, and the ones that we're holding on to are just one side. And for every traumatic moment seen a different way, there's probably a beautiful moment in the exact same moment. It's just how you experience it. We know from brain science that you tell yourself the same thing, I think it's seven or eight times, you start to actually believe it. So even, even if you say time is linear and what we understand to be the physical world is immutable, recasting those stories and telling yourself that new story multiple times actually changes the brain patterns. Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. My name is Keith Fiveson. We are an official podcast for the Psychedelic Science Convention 2023 in June. That'll be June 19th through the 23rd in Denver. I really hope you can make it. Find out more information about it at psychedelicscience.org. On this podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Ronan Levy. He is a true visionary in the field of mental health and consciousness. Ronan is a man who has dedicated his life to unlocking the potential of psychedelic and cannabis therapies for the betterment of humanity. He is a co-founder of Field Trip Health. He has pioneered what is now rapidly a growing movement towards the use of psychedelics for the treatment of mental illness and addiction. But there's a lot more to the story. When you hear the podcast, I think you'll, your mind will, will explode. Ronan's passion really has extended itself and continues as he has a media production company called The Non-Ordinary Company. I love that name. He has strived to inspire and educate millions of people worldwide to explore these substances and their therapeutic use with an upcoming documentary. It's a full-length documentary called Everybody is Doing Drugs. So it really promises to be a game changer in the conversation around mental health and drug use. He also has a podcast called The Non-Ordinary Podcast. He's talking about changing the name, but it's a real must listen for anyone who is interested in the intersection of psychology, spirituality, and consciousness. As well, uh, I, I, I think the guy bends time, but as well, he has two books, The Trip Journal and The Ketamine Breakthrough, which have further established him as a leading voice in the emerging field. His expertise in psychedelic therapy has led him to be a part of a very exciting workshop that will be at the Psychedelic Science Convention. It includes his insights from his work with psychodrama. So you'll be very interested to hear more about that. So Ronan is a disruptive force of nature, driven by a deep desire to shift the narrative around these mental health and substance use conversations. His work is grounded in years of research and experience, and he knows firsthand, he, he's experienced this firsthand, the healing power and the potential of these treatments. His vision is of a future where cannabis and psychedelics are mainstream treatments for mental illness as an exciting and inspiring possibility. So I'm honored, we're honored to welcome Ronan Levy to the Mindfulness Experience for this special episode in partnership with the Psychedelic Science Convention. Please join us welcoming Mr. Ronan Levy. Good afternoon. This is Keith Fiveson at the Mindfulness Experience Podcast, and we've got today a special guest, Ronan Levy, 
uh, and or Levy, uh, my apologies. Uh, oh, and because uh, we talked about that before, right? I mean, it's a good it's a good name. I I, I, I like the bread. I like the I like the name. I like the tribe. I'm a part of the tribe. So, you know, why why not go with it, right? Fair, fair enough. The truth is, is most people pronounce Levy. Um, you know, you got Eugene Levy. You got all the big people with the same spelled last name out there, and they pronounce it Levy. We're we're kind of the abstraction from the rule when it comes to how we pronounce our last name, and I have no idea why. To be quite yeah, honest. well, well, me bad. I I do apologize for that, but. You know, I um, uh, we did your intro, uh, and you know, you are uh, really a pioneer in the cannabis and the psychedelic industry. And I, I, you know, I just want to like chop into it because uh, in reading your bio, you know, one of the questions I have is, you know, have you figured out how to expand or bend time and space to be able to do all the things you do? No, uh, I don't think so. You know, it's one of those things. Someone yeah. recently referred to me as as hyper productive, and uh -huh. I don't feel that way. Um, you know, I think more than having an innate skill set to be super productive, I've been very fortunate to surround myself with people who are really good at getting stuff done, uh, and that enables me to come up with random sometimes very often harebrained ideas and then see them come to life magically because there's good people around me but i'm i'm not i'm not that competent at most things i think maybe either i'm really good at spitting a good story that people can get behind or i'm incredibly fortunate that i happen to meet the right people who can get a lot of things done and help bring things to life yeah yeah well that's very modest of you i i really do believe that you are the one you are you are you maybe Neo, uh, you know, I mean, because <laughs> you've figured out how to bend the spoon with, uh, you know, and I think there is that quality. Uh, I mean, you've inspired millions of people. You really were the co-founder for Field Trip uh, Health and you continue to do work. I mean, you've got this non-ordinary company. Uh, you've, you know, released your first full length documentary, which uh, you're getting in the preparation for. I went to the website, I signed up. Excellent. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing stuff. Plus you've got this book and you're really going to be at the convention at the Psychedelic Science 2023 convention. And you've got a really interesting program there that I really want to chop into or, or, or break down or look at a little bit more. I hate that word chop, uh, but I want to break that down and unpack it a little bit more. I mean, you'll be sure. speaking on uh, psychodrama and ketamine assisted therapy, psychotherapy, and there's a workshop uh, that you're going to be doing, and it's a novel approach to treatment and in the you know in the psychotherapy area but i as i told you before we started i've done a program in psychodrama and i've also done core energetics and the whole aspect of really moving energy you know in the body that could be stagnant through um, narratives and i i want to understand you know what is this workshop going to be about what's your perspective about this and how do we unpack that a little bit more? There's a lot there. Sure. So I certainly, maybe I was being modest before, uh, but I'm certainly not being modest here when we talk about this workshop. I was not the brainchild of, of the workshop. I was fortunate enough to um, have great partners in the non-ordinary company who helped bring this together. Uh, and it was the brainchild um, 
of a New York-based psychiatrist and psychotherapist, Dr. Gita Vaid, uh, who's very interested uh, in exploration and experimentation. You know, when we mm. talk about psychedelic assisted therapies, most of us by and large are still following what was kind of developed in the 60s. Definitely, certainly leveraging some indigenous insights as well. There's no doubt about that, but the protocol has been pretty standard for the last 50 or 60 years and probably rightfully so when you think about the political climate and all that kind of stuff, but there's no reason that we shouldn't be innovating. And, and so one of Gita's focuses is what can we do to enhance opportunities? And so she had reached out to Bessel van der Kolk, the, the author of The Body Keeps the Score, mm-hmm. and said, Bessel, you know, if we were going to pair ketamine with any given psychotherapeutic technique, what would you recommend? And if anyone who has read that body keeps the score knows, mm-hmm. he goes through a number of different techniques. Uh, and he said, without doubt, psychodrama. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, because we were close with Gita, she's like, why don't we document this? This is cutting edge stuff. It can be used for educational purposes. It could potentially be turned into a documentary on its own. Lots of cool stuff just to capture this experience for something that, as far as we know, has never been done before. Mm. Uh, And so we all got together in Hudson, New York. Um, Bessel and uh, Alicia Skye, his partner, led us through the few days of ketamine with psychodrama. And sometimes that meant doing ketamine before the psychodrama Mm. session. Sometimes it meant doing ketamine after. Sometimes at doing ketamine during mm-hmm. just to see what was happening. And mm-hmm. I just love that uh, willingness to experiment. I mean, we are talking about people's minds and psyches. And, and so you have to be pretty brave and uh, confident to walk into those situations mm-hmm. to, to know. Uh, and the experience was beautiful. It, it really was quite mm. transformative. Mm. Now, not everyone knows what psychodrama is. So I think it's really important to uh, unpack that a little bit more. Can you give us some perspective in terms of, you know, the protagonist and so on and so forth? But what is what is psychodrama and how does it apply uh, in terms of helping people to untangle that web that they weave over, you know, in terms of their 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 life story or where they're at at that particular point? Sure. Um, And this was my only experience with psychodrama. So please Mm -hmm. feel free to offer different perspectives or or correct Mm -hmm. or clarify um, because I'm just sharing the knowledge from this one experience. But Mm -hmm. what it is, is there's a a person who gets selected as the protagonist Um, Mm -hmm. and he's a person or she's a person who sits in the middle of the group. This is a a group experience. Um, And there's someone called the witness and the witness tends to be someone who has a lot of experience managing the psychodrama. Mm-hmm. Um, and either the the protagonist has something specifically they want to work on, or they can just strike up a conversation about things that are coming up. And then the witness will kind of hone mm-hmm. in and pick on or a thread of something that seems acute uh, or is worth expanding on. And as you expand on that and the witness is asking questions, what inevitably happens is you realize the crux of that thread comes from experiences that we've lived through. And so uh, those experiences are are baked into our psyches, they're baked into our brains, they're baked into our minds, but we get a chance to relive them and we can re-experience them. So the person who's the protagonist, it may turn out that some one of the underlying currents is something that happened with his or her mother Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. a child. Mm -hmm. And then they get to select a person from the group who Mm -hmm. enrolls 
mm-hmm. uh, as that person's mother and mm-hmm. steps into the circle and plays the role of that person's mother. And then there's a communication back and forth. So you may go back to that particular moment that was traumatic. Uh, and now as the protagonist, as an adult, you can say like, hey, when you did that, that really fucked me up, right? Mm. And have an opportunity mm-hmm. to re-experience that moment. And then what becomes really cool is, we'll just use the mother example continuing on. Um, obviously what happened in that moment, your mother wasn't there for you in some capacity to, mm-hmm. to say it shortly. It's my you story. Can, <laughs> <laughs> me as my dad. Um, then you can enroll someone who plays the role of your ideal mother. And then the witness will help the ideal mother say the things that your real mother should have said in that moment that you needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to reprocess that experience. But what's mm-hmm. particularly interesting about psychodrama, at least according to Bessel, Mm-hmm. is that it plays to both sides of the mind, right? Because you go into talk therapy, you can have a psychedelic experience mm-hmm. and, and you're processing it on a, an emotional, logical level, right? Uh, but when you put a person in the room and you're talking to a real person and they mm-hmm. have three dimensions, it engages mm-hmm. a different part of the brain. And so mm-hmm. you now have the integration of both hemispheres of the brain playing through mm-hmm. this experience, which rewrites it much more effectively than just having like a talk therapy or talking through a screen or something along Mm. those lines. Mm. That was my experience of psychodrama, but I do invite you to clarify, correct, or expand on, on anything that I shared. No, no, Ronan, that's, that's beautiful. Uh, And I, I, you know, I've always said that, you know, you change your story, you change your life. And, uh, and if you, uh, and, and certainly the medicine helps you to reboot. But there's always been, I I say, reboot, reset, reframe. But there's always been that element of reset and reframe. So I think what you're really talking about here is having the emotional literacy so that you can go back, you can reboot, reset through the emotional literacy now that we didn't have when we were kids, right? You know, I mean, mommy and daddy left left the room and went to the bathroom or went to the kitchen and we streamed, whatever the case, right? Yeah. So, you know, so I really like the 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 way this is applying and the the fact that we're taking now the medicine and the opportunity to let go of the default mode network and then go a little bit deeper. I want to ask you, do you do you, how does it differ from in your view from the way it's being done now in traditional talk therapy, perhaps, or how might it be more effective with certain individuals? Yeah. um, From my perspective, I think one Mm -hmm. of the limitations with traditional talk therapy is you can be overly cerebral. And it was actually really interesting watching some of the participants in this psychodrama, even with Mm -hmm. ketamine, that people who had done a lot of therapy immediately went to to intellectualizing what they Mm -hmm. were talking about. Instead of actually getting angry, they're explaining why they should get angry. Um, and, And that doesn't work. And it does seem that in order to uh, reboot, re- reset, and reframe. I think were the three words. <laughs> right. um, you need to feel the emotions. You know, there's that old cliche: you got to feel it to heal it. And right. it really was one of those things. And I think what was special about pairing the ketamine experience with this mm-hmm. is just like any psychedelic experience. You know, your your ego is down. The ability to have the ego compress the emotional component was mm. reduced. So even if some people started down the path of over intellectualizing what they were feeling, uh, it was a lot easier to punch through to the emotional level where I think the real magic happens in, in, mm-hmm. in all of these experiences. 
Um, and I think that was really unique mm. and, and really powerful because defenses were down. They they had to be down. And, you know, it was the skill of Bessel and Lisha and all that kind of stuff to make sure that the psychodrama played out as hoped, as intended. Mm -hmm. But you could also see that when one person initially was intellectualizing it, after the ketamine experience and mm -hmm. whenever that occurred, their ability to do so changed. And, and mm. so people changed almost magically through these experiences. It's really wonderful because here you are in the group, uh, sort of a fishbowl or, you know, the opportunity to be seen, to be heard, to be witnessed, to be recognized. And I think that's the medicine itself to be able to go ahead and somehow articulate, you know, uh, what your story is, but all of those defense mechanisms get in the way. And then to be able to go ahead and reboot, reset, reframe, to be able to use someone and say the words that you didn't say, to be able to get like, just change the situation even though it's now what was then is now and then you're able to look at it differently yeah a hundred percent um you know I, you you mentioned it and and it's actually you touched on our documentary it's like the outcome of the documentary is everybody has a story to wake up from and one of the powerful realizations i had because the documentary essentially follows me through a whole bunch of different mm -hmm. psychedelic uh experiences uh was that there's many sides to a story and, and mm -hmm. the ones that we're holding on to are just one side. And for every traumatic moment seen a different way, there's probably a beautiful moment in the exact same moment. It's just how you experience it and, and rewriting that. Um, it's not only emotionally cathartic. We know from brain science that you tell yourself the same thing. I think it's seven or eight times you start to actually believe it. So even, right. I mean, we can go deep into right. the metaphysical <laughs> conversations about whether time is real or not, but even if you'd say time is linear and what we understand to be the physical world is immutable recasting those stories and telling yourself that new story multiple times actually changes the brain patterns changes the right. the, the the neurology of it uh, so it's scientifically backed as well as spiritually emotionally backed experiences and, and that's what really i think makes it so powerful the other thing i wanted to touch on too mm -hmm. was you know in psychodrama um being seen being witnessed is such a powerful part it validates all the emotions you felt in that moment when you felt invalidated as a child or, or whenever um but what happens i think when you have the medicine is you receive the experience of being witnessed more because mm. even in the psychodrama you're witnessed if your defenses are up to some degree it's not going to land but when your defenses are down coming out of a ketamine experience that feeling of being witnessed i think just strikes much more mm. deeply and that was mm. certainly an experience i had not not during the psychodrama but um you know after a san pedro experience in costa rica mm -hmm. when making mm -hmm. the documentary it's like everybody's emotions everyone's guard was down and to be witnessed in that moment when your guard is down and their guard is down is probably mm -hmm. the most potent experience that any person right. can have in this life to right. change you know mm -hmm. the, those hurts those traumas all those things we hold on to that's a beautiful thing uh you know i i, I truly believe that we all just want to be seen heard recognized you know have the basics food shelter clothing and if we're aspirational in some way to be loved and to love someone else i mean that's really you know i mean the cash and the prizes are just you know that's just a way of survival 
right? I mean, the other stuff is a way of really living life and really interconnecting with other people. So it's uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a really interesting conversation for right now because I, I believe we're we're on the cusp of a post-scarcity world, right? Mm -hmm. in, in a scarcity-based existence, which is defined most of you as being mm -hmm. existence for however mm -hmm. long we've been around, mm -hmm. power and money were the drivers. And there is reason to have those drivers because those ensured survival mm -hmm. in a scarce world. In a post-scarcity world, when everyone has their needs fulfilled, food, clothing, shelter, uh, and, and there's no uncertainty around it, mm. all of a sudden power and money become mm -hmm. a lot less relevant, right? It's just like, so you don't need that anymore. It's not as intrinsic as a drive. And that leaves us in a situation being like, okay, well, if power and money aren't the drivers, what the hell is going to be the driver? Like mm. is, is the mm. pursuit of love and connection enough to keep us motivated, fulfilled, happy? I don't know. It's gonna, it's, it's a really interesting uh, question. And it's one of the things that I'm, I'm very interested in exploring right now. And that's actually, I have a podcast right now called the non-ordinary podcast, but I'm thinking right. about changing the title to, um, how we evolve. Mm. Um, and it's really about exploring that question, which is mm. how do we evolve? You know, it, I, I just came from a conference called the intelligent change summit, mm -hmm. uh, hosted by Alex and Mimi icon. And, and the attendees mm -hmm. were some of the most successful people you could possibly imagine. Mm. And all of them were there looking to change like somehow all of that success that we value in our society wasn't enough and when you wake up from that consideration when you wake up from the oh yeah money and power and all the things i was pursuing aren't actually that fulfilling what oh, is man. It's, it's a really <laughs> interesting and challenging and vexing question uh, and so i want to dive deep into that being like okay so what is enough how do we find that fulfillment and meaning you know we can look to ancient philosophies on some mm -hmm. levels and i th certainly think there's a lot of knowledge there but mm -hmm. my sense is we're not going to find the answers in the past you've got to find them mm -hmm. somewhere in the future and uh mm. and it's going to be i think a very fun exploration mm -hmm. well I, I i certainly as a as a mindfulness guy i mean i'm all about presencing so, you know, I mean, if we're present to the present, then there is no past, there is no future, there's only what is now. And within that space, if you have food, shelter, clothing, and you have you have enough, then there really, really is interconnection and the interconnection with other people, the environment, relationships, yourself, you know, your own sense of interconnection with the universe, right? Isn't that beautiful? Absolutely. Uh, the the spiritual teacher I work with, uh, a guy named Erwin Perlman, based mm -hmm. out of LA, um, was actually featured. We just uh, one of the books that I have, my co-author just came out through Hay House, and Hay House was kind enough to put on a psychedelic summit. Um, mm -hmm. So anyone interested in hearing mm -hmm. a whole bunch of smart people speak about psychedelics, please check out the Hay House Summit, uh, psychedelic summit. Um, but mm -hmm. Erwin Erwin was featured on it. He talks about. Um, how the process of evolution up to this point has been about individuation and separation, mm -hmm. right? We're right. now individuals. I'm, I'm Ronan, you're Keith, mm -hmm. uh, and we're separate. Um, but now the, the evolution that we're on the cusp of is how we go from individuated and separate to individuated and connected, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a, a process or a term he calls enchantment. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, it's that's exactly it. Right. And it's yeah. a very interesting exploration. But I really yeah. like the term enchantment. It uh, it's got a lot of beautiful energy around it. Yeah, it does. And uh, you know, uh, I think in relationship, when we look at our interdependence with each other on each other, you know, that we can't 
No Man is an Island. I mean, it's a very, you know, uh, for some people that would be a very kind of Eastern Buddhist view, but I mean, it's the way life is, right? So, um, yeah, I, I feel like we could, I feel like we could spend this time really diving deep into the existential angst of it all. And, you know, I, I, and that would lead us to death. So then we'd have a whole other conversation after that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny though. Cause like there's so much talk about mental health, mental health, mm -hmm. and mental health crisis and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, I just get this mm -hmm. real instinctive sense that like talking about it as mental health is just putting a band, trying to put a bandaid on it. It's like, these are the existential questions that are leading to the mental health crisis. So unless you're dealing with the existential questions, you're never going to solve the mental health crisis. Like they're, they're too interdependent conversations um and that's why i love nerding out on the existential questions because yeah I no it's the... it's it's good i mean gabor mate talks about the fact that we're all born into a trauma-written society and you know we we know that and it's you know we're trying to normalize the trauma in this craziness and at the same point people are having a dis-ease that is coming up not only mentally, psychologically, emotionally, and they're trying to cope. And yeah. that's where addiction comes in. That's where misuse comes in. That's where like, I'm not meant for this world, you know? Yeah. So I, I, and that's also where the medicine comes in and where the work comes in. Now, I want to get to uh, your work, uh, which is, can you tell me a little bit more about field trip? Because that's, you know, we can't we can't have this podcast without talking about field trip, right? And, you know, it it, it really is the intersection of your involvement uh, in the cannabis and the biotech industries through grass-fed ventures. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Can you tell me, can we unpack that a little bit more? Many people that are listening, I'm sure know who field trip is. I mean, it's it's it goes without saying, but maybe we can unpack that a little bit and talk about you know your your experience in in, in running the journey you yeah. know sure um it, it's a very germane conversation mm -hmm. because um some people will be aware that field trip recently filed for creditor protection um so as much mm -hmm. as we had a big dream to change the world and i think we did in many ways uh we weren't ultimately successful from a financial business perspective but that's also been a deep learning from for me. But I'll, I'll go back to the beginning, which was um, I grew up pretty straight edge. I was not interested in drugs. You know, I didn't really care that much if my friends drank and did drugs, but I, it wasn't for me. It was too out of control from my perspective. And I didn't know why anyone would do the, the whole dare to do drugs. You know, uh, this is your brain on drugs kind of messaging right. sure worked well for me. Um, you know, as I grew up and discover the joys of alcohol in, in, in university, uh, my perspective started to change. And actually it was the author, Tom Robbins, uh, who changed my perspective on drugs altogether uh, when he was sharing his um, his first experience with LSD back in the 60s. And he felt like it was just eye-opening and he felt connected to everything. And it changed his entire worldview after that experience. And it was for the, that was the first time actually I had ever realized that drugs, narcotics could be used productively. Um, and so that opened my eyes and my mind to the possibilities around this. Happened to have an opportunity to get involved in the cannabis industry uh, in Canada in the mid 2000 you know, mm -hmm. mid 2010s, um, saw it just as a great opportunity, didn't pay much heed to, you know, some of the deeper considerations around it. And in that experience, I saw just how potently effective cannabis could be as medicine. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'd always thought of it as just as a, a recreational drug or a drug of abuse, but then I saw it. Pineapple um, Express. Yeah. Totally. Mango haze. Um, I saw it as, as a really potent medicine. And during this time, I'd be working with Irwin, who I'd mentioned, you know, on a sort of spiritual exploration. Started very therapeutic, but has certainly gone down a spiritual path. Um, and after we left the cannabis industry, learned something was happening with psychedelics. And I vaguely recalled Peter Thiel having invested in some psilocybin company or something like that. Uh, but as I started to look into it, I realized that, you know, in many ways, the zeitgeist around psychedelics had changed. There's there's something energetically different in the world around psychedelics. Most people just hadn't caught on to the fact of it. Uh, and I was like, we got to do something here. Not only do I think it's a great business opportunity, I think it's what the world needs. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember having this internal dialogue uh, or monologue, depending on your perspective, with myself being like, you know, I, I, I use the archetype of, you know, a 28 year old bro uh, from mm-hmm. somewhere in the Midwest. And I'm like, could mm-hmm. I ever get that guy to go to therapy or have a spiritual conversation? The answer mm-hmm. was, in most cases, probably not. Could I get that guy to try mushrooms? Mm-hmm. The answer was, more likely than not. And if I can get someone to try mushrooms, I can open them up to other conversations. And that mm-hmm. probably is the most important thing we could be doing on the planet right now, as, I, as far as I was concerned. Uh, and so out of that, Field Trip was born. And and the real purpose of it was to try to normalize access to psychedelics. Because mm-hmm. even to this day, even four years later, as much as we've done an incredible amount to bring the conversation to the dinner tables of Canada and the US and around the world, and, and right. we had been very successful in that, um, most people still think about psychedelics in four quadrants. It's for hippies. It's for Joe Rogan and the Silicon Valley bro types. It's for, mm-hmm. you know, military veterans who have experienced traumas that most of us can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's for people who are suffering from truly intractable depression and other mental health disorders. And mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's not 96%. That's like the 4%. What about the 96% in the middle? Uh, and, and my goal was to try and bring the conversation to the 96% in the middle to be like, this is a conversation worth exploring, whether it's through drugs or breath work or meditation or otherwise. These explorations need to be happening. Otherwise, the things that are making our society so dysfunctional in so many ways will never resolve. Uh, we've got to mm-hmm. kind of step up our consciousness. And, and so at our peak, we had 12 clinics across mm-hmm. Canada and the U.S. providing ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. We had one mm-hmm. in the Netherlands providing psilocybin-assisted mm-hmm. therapy, generating tremendous results, still mm-hmm. based in a mental health conversation in terms of depression and anxiety but opening people up to perspectives that they hadn't seen before. And, and mm. I think that's the magic of, of psychedelics in this work is you just see things differently in a way mm-hmm. that really is uh, ingrained into you as opposed to just being a nice academic exercise. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so that's that's what happened. But unfortunately, uh, we spent too much money uh, trying to build it and the capital markets turned south and we weren't able to raise additional capital. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's why we entered restructuring last month. Now are you are you closing your doors or how is that how is that going to work? I mean you're in the restructuring phase so you're still you still have centers and you're still involved with that but there's an idea of retooling, of getting rebooting, resetting, reframing the conversation and the narrative, yeah. 
That's exactly right. So I, I'm, I'm not going to be personally involved in a sort of post-restructuring world, but there we're talking to a number of different parties and partners who will mm -hmm. take the clinics and our protocols and, and our you know, clinical team uh, and build them under a new umbrella, maybe the field trip name, but with a mm -hmm. kind of different operating thesis. So field trip will live on in some form or another after the restructuring, but it will look fairly different from what it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, certainly uh, in terms of the vision and in terms of the, you know, the the plan. I, I, if nothing else, I think you're probably you know years ahead of the market, and the market has just you know didn't change quickly enough to go ahead and catch up. You know, I, I, I think that's if nothing else because because essentially what you're doing from a boutique viewpoint, from the ability to go into a space that really allows an individual to not only feel safe, but to go ahead and have the necessary ancillary services, the health and wellness, the integrated health and wellness services that will really help them be empowered, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, those things are really essential, you know, and, 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 and you don't see them, unfortunately, you do not see them in the mental health community. Yep. You know, it's not an integrative health and wellness community. They, for some reason, the care has come out of health care. Yeah, you know, and I, 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 I don't get it, and I don't. I, it's money. It's it's pure money, and that's and that's the issue. It's money. There's a lot of reasons for it. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, big pharma is evil. You know, I've worked with a lot of people in big pharma and I think they're all extremely well intentioned intention people. I think it's a, a combination of factors, which is you can't look at the success of the the pharma industry and the move towards what people call sick care now as opposed to healthcare mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without looking at the litigation environment in the Canada and the US, which is doctors mm. have no incentives to go out on a limb because they just get sued left, right, and center. Uh, and so they have an incentive to follow what's been approved, what's safe, what's simple, and, and not mm. be unconventional. It's just not worth mm -hmm. it. You know, they're trying to make a living as well. So there's a number of reasons that that's happened. But yeah, we we've taken mm. we've Two things. One, we've moved to a sick care model because uh, mm -hmm. I think in some ways it's simpler. Um, but also, you know, we took, we've taken, you know, people talk about the separation of like you know, integrative medicine is about mind, body, and spirit. We've separated those, and, and our healthcare system is just based on the body now. Um, right, right. It, just, 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 just on the actual, uh, we're we're treating the symptoms. We're not really treating the individual and or their bios. We're really treating what the diseases or what the you know what the what the what the virus is right we're not treating the bios yeah yeah we're treating the biochemical mechanisms of right. it but we're not looking at the underlying causes and you know right. drivers right. of it and yeah that's definitely more complex so i let understand me, it let me ask you a question ronan uh you uh, have the idea the idea of accelerated treatment is that uh the whole idea of accelerated treatment is appealing you know through the you know, through the field trip model, the integration of it all. But, you know, I'm just wondering how might that work? How might all of this work in a larger landscape? Is it, you know, from your view, given your field trip background and your experience and really coming early to the market, where do you see the, you know, where do you see the, the roadblocks in terms of service? I know you broke it into four particular quadrants. I'm certainly in a couple of those quadrants as a vet, but 
but yeah. also as someone who's experienced early childhood trauma. But, you know, where do you see this happening? Because, you know, we're going out to the convention. Hopefully there will be 10,000 people there. I know yeah. we're at the Denver Convention Center. It's going to be big. Um, you know, is this the beginning of the change that we wish to see? I think so. I think so. I think the world is is kind of waking up. I think there's been a number of drivers that have forced people to to question a lot of assumptions about how our society works. Um, you know, if you look at it on a, a kind of spiritual level, it's it's kind of the creative destruction phase where like the old has to fall away before the new can kind of come into the world, and you can see that happening on a on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do think this convention will be a driver. I think there's going to be a number of drivers, right? They're all just small catalysts. You're, you're really trying to turn a ship around, a very massive, massive, massive entrenched ship around, uh, and it's not going to happen in a single step. And and so, you know, when the New York Times had psychedelics on the front cover uh, a, a year and a half ago, talking about how psychedelics are re- revolution revolutionizing mm-hmm. psychiatry, like to me, that was the starting line. That was the. Mm. the gotten the trigger being pulled on the start start of the race oops um i think this conference is going to be a good step i think the approval of mdma assisted therapy which should happen you know as as maps mm-hmm. is leading by mm-hmm. the end of this year or early next year oregon and, and colorado uh both legalizing access to psychedelics these are all things they're all you know little mm-hmm. baby steps towards a big shift but what we thought about with field trip and, and what i stand by to this day even though we really received a lot of scrutiny is it's going to take a long, long time for people to really drop into a spiritual ceremonial mm. situation and be comfortable. Most people mm. just aren't there right now. And mm. so creating a framework that, you know, if people are comfortable in this box over here, where you have one toe into that box and then one mm. toe into a different box, and hopefully they'll evolve that way. That's what we were trying to do. So we set it up in a way that was very clinical, very approachable. You know, our design and our aesthetic was not too conservative. It was designed to be friendly and, and more lifestyle oriented, mm-hmm. but it was doctors, it was therapists, it was clinical because people are comfortable with that. They like having a doctor right. there. You know, I'm personally of the viewpoint, I'm like, I don't know why you would want to, I don't have a rabbi present during my surgery. <laughs> so I don't know why I'd have a doctor present during a psychedelic experience. It's it's kind of a similar framework. It's not an entirely perfect analogy, um, but for a lot of people that gives comfort. And mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, you know, let's meet them where they are. And and that was right. a stepping stone. And and so I think this conference will help. Um, and I think just every day, every day conversations like this, every person who's like, I'd never consider it before, but I'd give it a try now. It's like, it, it's going to be a, a, a journey that's achieved one person at a time. And that's, mm-hmm. that's okay. But I, I don't think there's any single moment where there's this massive revolution that happens. I think it's just day by day mm-hmm. keeping at it. So let me ask you in that perspective, because we're we're talking about the potential future. Actually, we're talking about the present, how things are at, at the moment. But you've been involved in the uh, psychedelic and cannabis space for over a decade. And I'm just wondering maybe the attitudes, the perceptions, how do you see them shifting? They're shifting quite a bit. Um, you know, one of the things I think I'm most proud of of what we achieved at Field Trip is that Field Trip had 40% of share of voice in the entire industry. You know, mm-hmm. you can read about Field Trip in just about every major publication worldwide these days, with mm-hmm. with the exception of a few. Um, 
And, and that's just emblematic of the shift. And it's one of those things, you know, you hear in marketing speak that a person has to have seven touch points with a brand before mm -hmm. it becomes memorable or before they have a positive experience with it. And it's the same thing I think with psychedelics, which is the more this conversation happens, the more you hear about the good stories, the more you hear about the science, um, the more it's going to, to shift it. Um, right. and, uh, and that's just what we got to keep at. And, uh, you know, I think it will eventually get there. And I think attitudes are, are, are shifting. You know, we get uh, people coming into the clinics who were at one point being like, I would never touch that stuff. No way. And then they're in there in the chair having some of the most transcendent experiences of their life. Um, so, you know, the world always surprises. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you've had all these experiences. You have this perspective, the hindsight. You've had some insight. You are right now involved with this uh, non-ordinary company uh, and you've got this film. I went to the website, I put my my name in, I'm on the list. I'm just wondering like, okay, what's that about? What's, what's I know you, we started to talk a little bit about it, but uh, maybe you can give some more insight because I really, I, I love what you're doing. Thank you. Um, the insight is, is that with field trip, we tried to build the brick and mortars, you know, four wall centers to provide access and, and change attitudes towards this. Um, but content and communication and media is inherently more scalable and it's more digestible. Uh, and, and even if you're fundamentally opposed, uh, to psychedelics, you know, it, it's not a huge ask to give us half hour, an hour of your time to watch an entertaining, vulnerable, touching you know, documentary. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of it. So one of the things I've realized is that any path, all paths forward to greater access are, are worthwhile. Uh, and so if that means clinical, great, but if it's limited to clinical, then I think that's a disservice to all of humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just keeping the conversation out there, you know, seeing, getting more people to see other faces involved in mm -hmm. the space or benefiting them. <laughs> To me, that's how we move the needle. Um, right. As I touched on earlier, uh, what psychedelics, there are many mechanisms of action, but if I was going to identify the single most potent one from my perspective of what psychedelics do, is they make you see the stories you're telling yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you see the stories you're telling yourself, so you can then change the stories, you can change those narratives. Mm -hmm. um, and if we're talking about narratives, then media is fundamentally how you shift narratives, right? So it, it was just a, a more natural nexus. Um, to helping people change the stories they tell about themselves and then mm -hmm. they tell about the world and they tell about psychedelics and, and so that's the that's the effort um with the non-ordinary company so the documentary is called everybody is doing drugs and it's all about mm -hmm. the people places and compounds that are part of this psychedelic renaissance and it's everybody's doing drugs.com right that's yeah. correct um, and we've got amazing cameos. Rick uh, from Maps is is in it. We've got Dr. Carl Hart. We've got Jamie. We've got wonderful, wonderful people who are involved with the the documentary. Um, but you know, Michael Pollan, who's known. Yeah, by anybody, I was just gonna go. I was just gonna go there. I mean, it's only been a year since the since his you know Netflix series came out. So you know. And, and it was how to change your mind. And, and the way we think about everybody is doing drugs is how do you change your heart, mm. right? Which is how do you get past the mm. the logic being like, oh yeah, the data is really interesting to mm. being like, oh, that's a really powerful story that touched me deeply. Cause it's gonna be the, the stories that touch you deeply that lead to change behavior as opposed to being like, oh, that's really interesting factually. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's how we, we think about it. And- right. um, Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. 
That's great. So I, I I know we're I know we're coming towards the, our time, but I I, I do uh, I do have one question that I I have to ask you, and it's not it's not going to be that sort of end question that you know everyone kind of wonders. Oh, like why didn't he ask that at the beginning? But it, there might be some some element to that. Okay. So your your view on the uh, sort of the divide, I'll call it the divide between the. Uh, ethnogens and the uh, psychedelic biotech bioscience kind of movement uh, because I I do I, I do want to get your perspective on it whereas there's there's kind of a split or a chasm but there doesn't need, need to be a chasm I think field trip did a lovely job of trying to bring the two of those together but maybe you can speak to that and you know specifically I think there are some growth areas in this area in both camps as we start to take a look at, you know, well, I don't want to feed you your your lines, but there's, you know, there's stuff around spirituality, changes of churches, 508C1As, the the whole nine yards. And we've had a lot of people talk about that recently, but I'd, I'd like to get your view about where you think we're going and, and, you know, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or is it both and? I think it's both and, uh, you know, the fundamental thesis I have is this can be construed the wrong way, but it's like, mind your damn business, right? Which is like, if someone's doing it the biotech way and that speaks to people, cool, that's awesome. Be happy that people are being served by that process. Mm -hmm. And if someone likes the ceremonial way, mm -hmm. cool, that's awesome. Let them have their way. All of them are right. All of them are perfectly correct for wherever people are. So instead of having judgments. So the, the the term would be stay in your lane. Yeah. Stay in your lane. I'd say mind your business. One of those things. Uh, but it's it's like, you know, and that can be construed in a negative way, which is like, don't be apathetic. It's like just have compassion being like your way does not serve that person and that person's way does not serve you and that's kind of cool i was going to use an example of being like how do you brush your teeth do you use electric toothbrush do you do little circles do you swipe we all have our own damn way of brushing our teeth and we're not judging each other for that so why would this be any different than that um, but for some reason people have this strong opinion about how it should be done and, and it's one of the things i've actually always struggled with about the whole psychedelic movement which is mm -hmm. you know if psychedelics create enchantment and, and connection why are there so many people so angry about how other people are doing mm. it right it just mm. it's it's one of those things where it's a, an incoherence that i haven't solved but um so going back to your question it's like i i think both are great and mm -hmm. as long as we keep space for both of them mm -hmm. um then that's the best outcome we could possibly ask for because you know there are some people who will never go to you know uh to Peru or Costa Rica mm -hmm. for a very mm -hmm. ceremonial experience, mm -hmm. but want the newest, fanciest drug administered mm -hmm. by a doctor. Wonderful. Right. That that right. that's totally cool with me. And right. uh mm -hmm. and I just want to maybe I, I would like it for everybody to have space for that. And I, I get there's some concerns that if it becomes too corporatized, then it's going to force out different, mm -hmm. you know, approaches. But mm -hmm. my usual response to this, and what I generally believe, is that the whole pharma industry over the, and the war on drugs was not successful in stamping mm. out you know right. what has become a fair, very robust psychedelic movement it was much more underground and less spoken to but it still exists it's still burnt bright just in different corners why do we think you know the future is going to be any different i, I don't yeah. think it will be i think there's going to be lots of space for it especially in a 
hyper-connected world with the internet and, and divergent viewpoints and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I think I think there's lots of space for, for everything here. And the beautiful thing is a lot of the biotechs are far are funding all the all the research. Yep. You know, so you've got, you know, five hundred institutions that are conducting research today. You've got I don't know, 80,000 papers that have been out. So, you know, I mean, those that has, you know, there's money involved with that. There's, you know, there's people that have to do that work, right? You know, so, and it's not, you you can't do that underground. You've got to do it above ground. So I, I think there is a, a, a tent that's big enough. And that tent is going to be the Psychedelic Science 2023 convention in Denver in June. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Uh, but in the meantime, how do people get a hold of you and how do they find out more about your work, your current work and, you know, what you're what you're up to and, you know, where you're going to go ahead and take the industry next? I really like how you circled that one up from beginning to end. That really brought it all together. So kudos to you in that line. <laughs> um, uh, how do how do people follow me? So uh, on socials, it's Ronan D. D as in David Levy. So Ronan D. Levy on Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Everybody is doing drugs. Everybody is doing drugs.com is the website. And on socials, it's everybody is doing drugs on Instagram. I think everybody drugs on Twitter. Um, those are two places to follow, find out what's going on. Um, if you want to follow the podcast, it's currently called the Non-Ordinary Podcast, and you can find it on, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that kind of stuff. I'm thinking about changing the name to How We Evolve, uh, because as we touched on earlier, that's where, really where my interest is. And I think a lot of people are deep into that exploration. Um, and yeah, would, would love if you tuned in and, and appreciate mm -hmm. this conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're interested in any of the books, The Ketamine Breakthrough is the one that Dr. Mike Dow and mm -hmm. I published recently through Hay House uh, and certainly check out the Psychedelic Summit through Hay House because they've got we we, we were fortunate to interview interview some true giants in the space mm -hmm. um, who shared a lot of wisdom and insight. Mr. Ronan Levy, you're you're brilliant. You're uh, you know really a bright light, and I really appreciate you uh, coming on to the Mindfulness Experience podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been it's been a pleasure, um, and uh, look forward to continuing the dialogue. Thank you for listening to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We have other exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. For more mindfulness tips and tricks, visit our website at workmindfulness.com. Thanks again for being a part of the Mindfulness Experience. This is Keith Fiveson.